introduce our main speaker for the evening, Ian H. from San Diego. Hi, everybody. I'm Ian. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date's October 11th, 1999. My home group is uh, Claremont Men's Thursday night. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> Alcoholics Anonymous has given me so much, has given me my life, has saved my life, and then on top of that, given me a life. And I owe so much back to Alcoholics Anonymous. I could never pay it back. And uh, it's my honor to be able to share my story. And um, this is the first time I've ever shared for 40 minutes, so keep your expectations low. <laughs> okay. Whew. Get that out of the way. Um, I was born and raised in San Diego. I grew up in Claremont, uh, over by Jimbo's Liquor. And uh, some of you might know that uh, by the DMV over there. <laughs> and uh, it was me and two older sisters, a younger sister, my mom and dad. And uh, I was a happy kid. Um, did soccer and little league, stuff like that. And uh, when I was six or eight years old, my dad met a woman at his work, and he got together with her, and then he separated from my mom, and then he left the family and uh, stayed in San Diego, but I didn't really talk to him that much, and I didn't really understand why that happened or what I did wrong. And I know a lot of people have a lot worse shit that happens to them, but um, it really affected me. I think that being an alcoholic, I'm really sensitive. I'm a sensitive man. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that kind of thing just, it really uh, affected me. I, I felt not part of all the time. I felt uncomfortable in my own skin. You know, when I went to school, I'm like, all these other happy kids, they, they were here that day when they passed out the instructions manual, and I never got that shit. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm cursing too much. I hope that's not bad. Um, there are drugs in my story. I'll try and keep it to a minimum. But they're a big part of my story, so just so you know. And I, I view alcohol and all the, those other substances, because I did a lot of other substances, the same way. They both would get me out of my mind. And I'm uncomfortable in my mind. I'm uncomfortable in my skin without some sort of contact with the higher power. I'm, I'm just not happy. I'm just like, eek! You know, and alcohol took that away from me. Um, there was a guy that came to my men's meeting once. I didn't catch his name, but I'm going to steal a quote that he used. And it, it was, uh, growing up, I never knew what the question was, but the answer was Alcohol. And for me, that really hit home. It really resonated with me because that's how I felt. When I first had that drink, I felt the ease and comfort they talk about. And I wasn't self-conscious. I 
loved everybody. I felt warm inside, and uh, I didn't care what people thought about me. I was just like, I'm part of the group. I'm part of humanity. I, I got the instruction manual now, you know, and um, that's, that's how I know I'm an alcoholic. Because when I, I hit that first drink, that first sip, I did not stop. They couldn't stop me. No one could stop me. I just keep going till I blacked out. And uh, they couldn't put me in a cell, you know, and keep me from drinking. I drink Pruno. <laughs> some, some fear factor shit, too. Real gnarly. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, so any, I uh, was raised in Claremont, and um, I always felt uncomfortable. <sighs> Let's see here. I got bullied. Um, I was a latchkey kid. I'd, I'd go to walk to school and walk home. And uh, these kids uh, would beat me up. There was three of them. They were older than me. And they'd, I'd walk different ways, and they'd, they'd walk different ways, and sometimes they'd catch me. And I just remember the first time I saw stars. You know, a guy socked me in the head, and I was just, ping, you know. And uh, then I started uh, studying martial arts. My mom got me into Aikido Ki. And, uh, and I got into uh, Taekwondo, and um, I found a, a good male role model, my instructor. And um, I stayed with that for nine years or so, and um, it really helped me out. But uh, the drugs made me... Or the alcohol and the drugs and the partying just eventually made that go away. Um, when I was in seventh grade, I went down to Tijuana with my family. And um, I was begging my mom, hey, buy me this knife. <laughs> buy me these, this, uh, what was it? Some knuckle dusters, uh, yeah, the brass knuckles. And, and we came to middle ground, and she bought me a necklace that had like a little, <laughs> had a throwing star on it. <laughs> right? So, so I went to school with it. I was all proud. I'm like, hey, what's up? You know? And some kid like grabbed that shit off me and ran. It's like, oh, man. And then the next, the next uh, period... I uh, was called into the principal's office, and there was a cop in there, and they're like, you're going with him, and we have zero tolerance policy, and you're out of here. And then he took me home, and um, that was my first brush with the law, you know, and I had many after that. And uh, it, <laughs> it made me really um, dislike authority figures. And... Um, it kind of paved the way for a lot of my actions after that. Um, also, when I was a little kid, 
I um, loved music. You know, I got this, uh, started with the clarinet, and then I went to the, the bass guitar, and, well, tuba first, then bass guitar. And, um, and it was a big part of my life. And I always wanted my life to be like a movie. You know, I wanted to be exciting. I wanted people to like me. Uh, I, had, I was the, the egomaniac with uh, self-esteem issues, you know, like a lot of alcoholics are. And um, it, my life did turn out to be like a movie, but not the movie that I thought. <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys saw Less Than Zero. It was kind of like that. <laughs> um, Brittany, thanks so much for, for sharing. That was awesome. Um, Sorry, I'm jumping around. Anyway, so I got kicked out of that school, and um, I started going to Blessed Sacrament, where my mom worked. And I was raised Catholic, and I was used to going to church, you know, stand, sit, kneel, Hail Mary, Our Father. And uh, I had a good time there, and uh, I went from there to uh, Gompers. Uh, they had this uh, math science program, and I went out there, and it was kind of gnarly there, and uh, and they didn't have football, and I wanted to play football. I wanted to do sports, and uh, I went half day to Lincoln because they did. It's right next to it, and they do have sports there. This was in '89. It was pretty gnarly there too, and uh, this kid came at me. Um, at Gompers, this Laotian kid with the, uh, we got in a fight over something. He came at me with a broomstick, and I've been doing taekwondo for a long time, so I kicked his ass. <laughs> Real bad though, and they kicked me out for zero tolerance. <laughs> and uh, I was supposed to go to Garfield, and they sent me to, they were going to send me to Garfield, but I got into Saint Augustine all-boys Catholic high school. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had been playing the, the bass guitar for a long time, um, and I really liked punk rock. I liked English punk rock. I liked The Clash, and I liked uh, the Sex Pistols and uh, The Damned. I was super into it. And uh, there were these kids there, I found out about the third week of school that had a Sex Pistols cover band, right? And I was like, no way! And they need a bass player. And I was like, no way! And Sid Vicious is like one of my heroes, right? So I knew the, the Sex Pistols songs on bass. I was like, hey man, so let's get together, right? And they're like... Okay, well, we hang out with this dude that lives right by the school. He's, he's uh, 34 years old, and he lives with his mom, and he buys us alcohol. And uh, that all seemed a little bit sketchy to me, but whatever. <laughs> so I, I go over there, and I had been afraid of drinking. Um, drinking and drugs. And this was when I was 17. And the reason I was afraid of drinking and drugs is because of my family, because they're crazy. 
and not just like everybody's family's crazy, like they're literally schizophrenic and manic depressive, um, like real crazy, right? My, my uncle, when I was growing up, he, um, my uncle Mike, he had, he was a badass. He listened to Black Sabbath and uh, he had a motorcycle, he was a biker. And uh, he had his own tow truck company. He had a lot in a tow truck. And uh, he took some PCP. <laughs> and it took six cops to hold him down. And then they took him to the hospital. And then when he came back, he had to learn how to talk again and how to write again. And uh, <clears throat> he... Uh, ended up um, taking his own life. And uh, he, he wrote a suicide note and then ate a bottle of my grandma's blood pressure medication. And um, my aunt, somebody slipped some acid in her drink. I mean, all that stuff was happening in the late 70s, you know? And... Um, she ended up being schizophrenic um, when she came down, and um, she thought that her cousin was Satan, and she thought that um, she was getting raped all the time, and she called the police so much they stopped coming, and she thought that I was Jesus. So growing up, experiencing all this and hearing the stories, um, I was really afraid but I really wanted to be in the Sex Pistols cover band bad. <laughs> and I wanted to look cool to those guys, and I wanted to look cool to everybody. And I took a big rock glass and poured the vodka in that this guy had bought us, like up to there, and then that much orange juice in there. And I remember it like it was yesterday, and I, I feel like I can still taste it right now while I'm talking to you. And I felt that feeling I was talking about earlier, the warm feeling, and I felt a part of, and these guys were going to be in my new band. And it was back when MTV still played music, and the Divinals were on, and the chick was like, I touch myself, right? So, like, I remember everything. Who was sitting there on the couch? That alcohol was the answer. I was like... Well, why the, why the fuck did I not do this before? I'm going to keep doing this. This is awesome. Right? So, I blacked out. You know, one of the, the reasons I was going to St. Augustine's was because I was good at football and I was a defensive nose tackle. And I come to and the coach is kicking me. What is wrong with you? get in my office, and I, I went to his office and stayed there for a little while, and <laughs> that's a phrase that I heard a lot during my drinking career, what is wrong with you? You have so much potential, what the fuck is wrong with you? What is your major malfunction? <laughs> I liked alcohol so much, and uh, I found out later that I had puked all over that dude's mom's rose bush, his, her prized rose bushes, and he was threatening to not let them come over anymore. And 
I wasn't in the band. That's okay, because I hung out with these guys from Crawford that my best friend I had met at Blizz Sacrament, and I got in a band with them. And we didn't do covers, right? So, <laughs> so back then, there was a, a pretty big music scene in San Diego, and, and even if you were young, there was Soma. You know, if you played and you were over 21, you could just go on the stage and play, and then you had to leave. But if you were under 21, there was Soma, and you started it in the dungeon, right? There's a little basement underneath the stage, and uh, you, you just play in there, and you play with all these other little bands, and then bring so many people in, and they let you go on the main stage. And we brought so many people in, and we got to go on the main stage and open for the big bands. And... Um, it was really cool, and I was having lots of fun, had all these friends, met all these girls, went to house parties, and um, it, it was good, and um, I really liked it a lot, but there were issues because the way that I drink, I'm the jaywalker that they describe in the book. I don't stop. I keep going, and uh, even after I get hit by a car and I'm Broken leg, I jaywalk again with crutches. And I would, I would do that all the time. You know, I would drink until I blacked out. I, I couldn't stop. And uh, I started experimenting with, I had a few close friends, and some of them could drink like me. And then we still st- kept hanging out. And then we started experimenting with other substances, and some of them, fell off, but some of the other core people, we kept going, all until it was just me and one other guy, and uh, by then I was, I was uh, intravenously using heroin and coke, and I was able to stop drinking a little while while I was using that, (laughs) and it was really cool because the coke makes you go up, and then you kind of ease down right into the heroin. And, uh, but you get kind of sick if you don't have it, and it's hard to hold the job. And uh, so I started getting a little bit into crime, well, a lot into crime. And uh, I had already been selling weed a little bit, but um, I had this connection. There was a Border Brother guy that could get me pounds of weed, so I started selling more weed. And um, I started doing scams. I, I had to, didn't have a job, but I had to spend at least $120 a day so I wasn't sick, so I could do it again. And um, after a little while of doing that, you get caught. You always get caught. And I got caught. <laughs> and um, I started, I got my first felony. And that was cool or whatever. And uh, <laughs> and I got on probation. And, and then I got a couple misdemeanors and um, did a little bit of time. And then I got my second felony and <clears throat> did a little bit more time. And, uh, and I got that a little assault charge and... Um, And I, I was living with roommates. I was able to move out of my mom's house. Well, I used to go to the black, uh, the head shop, 
down in Ocean Beach. And they had a really cool library section. Well, they sold books. And, um, like, they had Opium for the Masses, uh, the Book of Legal Highs. I did all that shit. It's not necessarily good highs. I, I wouldn't recommend eating a whole packet of Morning Glory seeds. Because you will hallucinate, but not good hallucinations. Um, or a box of Dramamine sucks. Um, what was the other one, that Meg? <laughs> That's not a good high. <laughs> There's reasons why people aren't selling nutmeg to junkies on the corner. <laughs> anyway, so there was this book called The Sea of Green, Closet Cultivator. And um, I started growing weed in my closet hydroponically. And uh, I had the big light and ballast up at the top and then my little plant at the bottom. And uh, I didn't know how to top it off. That's when you top the top and then starts growing sideways so I had this 10 foot plant in my closet and I come home and it's in the living room like a fucking Christmas tree and my mom's like what the fuck is wrong with you you have so much potential you could be growing the shit out of some organic tomatoes Ian And, uh, of course, it was a male plant. (laughs) But, hey, it was my first try, and it grew that high. And and I moved out with a couple friends. (laughs) And um, I got a job with... uh, I went, I went to Mesa College, you know, and uh, I got a job with the school district being a teacher's assistant at this uh, school for socially emotionally disturbed kids. And I was a socially emotionally disturbed kid. <laughs> and I was on the response group, the response team, which means that when a kid was losing their shit, I'd have to go grab them and put them in a prone restraint in this special padded room with a camera until they calmed down. And they would break the windows every day, and they would be like, fuck you. And after a while, that's like, I love you, you know? And uh, it was a cool job. And I sold weed to the teachers there. And we'd go to the bar in Claremont on, on staff development day and never come back after lunch. And I had, a, like, a fake ID didn't get taken away, and um, yeah, so I got fired from that job, (laughs) and I couldn't afford rent with those guys I was living with anymore, so I had to move back in with my mom, and um, I was really just crazy. I was a crazy, alcoholic, drug addict mess. And um, I had no, no um, right to be in society. And um, 
I moved back in with my mom, and my sister was living with my mom. And uh, I was in the bathroom shooting up, and my sister walked in. And I was trying to hide it, and uh, she saw me. And then the next day, my family was all together, all my sisters and my mom and my uncle and and uh, a couple of my mom's friends, and were like they were like put me in the corner sitting down, and they're like, "Ian, this is an intervention." And uh, you're like a hundred pounds, hundred and ten pounds, and you're killing yourself, and we see you're dying. I'm like, hold on. I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> if you're doing an intervention and somebody says that, say no. Okay, so I went to the bathroom and I locked that shit. And then I had some heroin stuff in the thing and I did that. And then, you know those little bathroom windows? I, I took the screen off it. It's kind of like that size. Maybe a little bit. I was a lot thinner back then. <laughs> went out the window and I ran and I left them all in there on the other side of the locked bathroom door having an intervention for me and I was out and that was real fucked up to do to my family and uh, anyway so then that's when I got my third felony and I was used to coming in the courtroom the back way. Whenever I went in the front way, they'd always take me out the back way anyway. And uh, so I come through the back way from the courthouse, and I had a nine-year joint suspended sentence. And uh, Judge Connie Kinoshiro, little Japanese judge, was on the bench, and my mom was in the courtroom bawling crying her eyes out, and the judge looked at me, and she's like, so, Mr. Hurt, I guess I'm going to break my anonymity a little. I'm Ian Hurt. I'm an alcoholic. So, so Mr. Hurt, um, why should we not, why should I not put you in prison? I tried to think about it for a second and I could not think of anything because I had gone through crash and got kicked out I had gone through the Balboa house outpatient got kicked out I had gone through Mesa Vista outpatient and got kicked out I had gone through SP38 something like that and diversion I made it through that one um it was super easy. <laughs> but all these times, I would just tell people, yeah, I'll do whatever you say. And I'd do whatever they say until they let me go. And then I'd be like, cool, now I can drink again. Because I love drinking. I love alcohol. And I can't stop drinking alcohol. And once I have that first drink, I cannot stop drinking until I black out. It might sound like a broken record, but it, this is how I am. And I've come to accept that. Because I have the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And the only way that I can stop that, I found out later, is by working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, 
So anyway, I was like, I don't know, Your Honor, can I think about it? (laughs) And she said, yeah, you'll have plenty of time to think about it. (laughs) So I, uh, my mom, God bless my mom. She went through a lot with me. She went through a lot with everyone. She's a saint in my eyes. And um, my attorney was like, yeah, he's going to have to do time. He's going to have to serve a lot of that sentence. And as long as he's good, you know, hopefully he'll come out the same. Or kind of like, hopefully not the same. But he'll, he'll come out a good boy. And um, she did some research, and there was this experimental program called Drug Court. And um, they, you go in front of the judge every week. You go into a residential rehab. You piss in a cup every week. Um, and or whenever you re- leave that facility, you blow into the tube. And um, by some miracle, you know... <clears throat> One of the scams I used to do is I'd steal wallets or something from Mervyn's, and then I would take it to JCPenney and return it. Or I'd steal some shit from Target, and I'd take it to Home Depot return it. Little things that cost a lot, like those uh, CO2 um, alert meters. Because they're small, and you can stuff them in boxes and shit, and then buy whatever was supposed to be in the box, like a CD tower, and then take them and return them at Home Depot and... Anyway, so, <laughs> you can't do that anymore, so I'm telling you. I ruined it for all of you. So, uh, I was at Macy's returning these wallets, and I got greedy, and I was like, I'll take this shirt, turn this shit to Mervyn's. And I got it, and then... Last prevention officer, the Samoan guy, was like, hey, and before he could say anything, I poked him in the throat with my thumb as hard as I could. And he fell down, I got assault charge on, on my record, and uh, I got grabbed up by the other guys behind me that I hadn't seen. And um, so I wasn't supposed to get into drug court because I had an assault charge. Somehow, the attorney and the DA and the judge let me in. And um, I knew that it, was a, it wasn't likely that that was going to happen. And my life was a total mess. My life was... Alcohol is a depressant. And I was already kind of a depressed person. Heroin's a little bit of a depressant, too. And uh, I was super depressed. and I looked at my life and I was like I am a fuck up and uh, my life is totally unmanageable I'm I'm gonna try and do it this time for real and I got into the Salvation Army I got into drug court and um, I went into the Salvation Army had a Cortito left and I shot that Cortito in the little alley by the Salvation Army, and then I turned myself in, and then they had me do a drug test. 
And this guy that was running it, Adam at the time, he was like, you almost broke our machine. <laughs> but we're going to let you in anyways. So I got into the Salvation Army, and I got into drug court, and I started doing the program. And Art was in there as a front desk man. And uh, I have a lot of fond memories of the Salvation Army. It's a six-month program, and I was there for a year. (laughs) And uh, I went through drug court, and it's a um, three-tier program. So it can be two to three years. And um, so... You start going every week to see the judge, and then every couple of weeks, and then and they, they give you a, a different color, and you call, and, you know, if, if you're on the first tier, they call blue all the time, and you're on the second tier, they call gold every once in a while, and blue a lot, and then on your third tier, they call purple sometimes every once in a while, and um, so I went through the, the drug court program, and uh, there was this guy in the Salvation Army. The reason I was telling you the, the colors is for a story I'm going to tell a little bit. And um, I met this guy in there, and he liked the same music I was into. And um, we were talking about music, and then he had found a sponsor, and his sponsor was Rock and Roll Johnny. And... Uh, he would come in to read through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and read the 12 and 12 with Brian. And uh, he was super cool. And I was like, will you sponsor me too? Kind of like asking another man to the prom. (laughs) But you had stolen it from me first, buddy. So, yeah, um, he said yes, and he came in, and it was one alcoholic helping another. And um, we went through the, the big book, and we worked through the steps, and we went for the, through the first three steps, and I wrote out my fourth step, and uh, all that shit that makes me go, and makes me want to drink, and got it all bleh, on paper, What's my part? Because nothing's ever my part. And I had to look real hard for my part, and I wrote all of my part. cool thing about the steps is you don't have to do it perfect. You just got to keep doing them. At least in my opinion. I know everybody does it different, but I don't think... I think that you can keep going and keep going. And it's not like sobriety and not drinking is going to stop you from doing fucked up shit. So it's important to keep working through the steps. And uh, I've worked them four times so far. I should do it again. But, yeah. Anyway, soon. Maybe I'll start now. I'll start very soon. Um, Okay. Right on. So, um, it changed my life. The steps changed my life. Doing that fifth step and getting all that stuff out there, you know, the, the steps 
are simple. They're super simple. You just got to do the stuff it says. But that shit is not easy. But there's a big reward for doing them. I felt that sense of ease again that I hadn't felt since I stopped drinking. I felt the weight come off my shoulders. I thought, yeah, I can be a good son. I can be a good friend. I can be a good member of society and I can be gainfully employed off my own self-contributions. I don't have to be a leech. And um, I took the steps, went through all of the steps, and um, he took me to this men's meeting, Claremont Men's, and uh, a lot of you guys are here tonight, I really appreciate that, and um, that became a big part of my life. I'm so close with a lot of those guys, you know, I... There's this guy in there, Dick, and and he's. Uh, <laughs> I said Dick. <laughs> so, so Dick, Dick was this guy. He was homeless for years, and uh, he he got into a program, and he went into the. He he got sober, and um, he got a job, and became um, a big part of my life. He, he was a great guy. I talked to him a lot. I talked to him. Um, one of my nephews was run over and killed. And um, I, was, I was grieving, and it tore my family apart. And uh, it was really hard to go through. He was only four years old, you know. And... Um, <clears throat> Dick really, he gave me a book that he had read on grief, and um, he shared some of the experiences that had happened to him that he had gone through that were really similar, and um, it helped me out a lot. And a lot of guys in Alcoholics Anonymous are like that. I've experienced a lot of love. Going into meetings, there's a lot of love um, and support, and um, that's really important. I try and remember that. Uh, because I want what was was given to me, given to other people that are suffering like I am. Anyway, so Dick um, was later shot and killed. I'm sorry if my story's turning tragic. (laughs) Um, But he used to say, uh, I'm on the bonus plan. I should be dead. And um, that's how I feel, you know. I am on the bonus plan. I, I should be dead. I, I shouldn't be here. And um, that's why I thank Alcoholics Anonymous for my life, because it saved my life. It, and it helped me to uh, have a life. Because when I was out there looking for the next drink, it was almost like I was in prison. I was going through, I'd do anything I could. I'd, I'd cut a hole in the bottom of my mom's couch looking for change, you know, so I could go get a 40. I, I'd do whatever I could. I'd steal shit. I'd steal your shit. I'd do whatever I could to get another drink. 
um, because I could not feel like this. And uh, I'm really grateful for men like Dick because he gave what was given to him. And um, I mean, God bless Alcoholics Anonymous because it's filled with guys like that. I want to be able to be a conduit for God. And um, having a, a closer contact with God, working through the other steps, I think helps me to do that. So, I was going to meetings when I was in the Salvation Army, and um, I went to this young people's meeting, and uh, there was this girl, and she was the 10-minute speaker, and she had 60 days sober, and they asked her to be the 10-minute speaker, and uh, she was talking about how she was in a band, and she... (laughs) She played bass and sang in a band, and um, I was instantly in love. (laughs) And she was beautiful. And um, so I asked her if she would give me a ride home at another meeting. Because we lived in South Park, both of us. I was at my sobriety house, and she was just lived over there. And uh, she did, and I asked her out to coffee, and um, she said, sure. And we went out to coffee over in South Park, and I started talking to her. I really liked her and talked to her about music and being in bands and stuff that I actually had in common with somebody else. And, um, you know, they had called Purple, and uh, I missed it, so I had to do a day of, of jail. You know, because if you miss your piss test, you've got to go in and piss right away afterward, and then they incarcerate you for a day or two. And uh, right after our coffee date, I was like, well, if I jump on the two bus, I might be a little bit late, so fuck it. Um, could you give me a ride? And uh, she's like, where? I'm like, um, jail. <laughs> and she's like, jail? You've been sober for a year, or more than a year. And uh, I'm like, yeah, but they called purple. And they never fucking call purple. And they called purple, so I got to go to jail right now. And she's like, what? Right. When do you got to go to jail? I'm like, now. So we were on our first date, and she took me in her Sentra, her little Nissan Sentra, down to Broadway, and, and I was like, bye, and I walked up the court steps, and um, we're married, and she's right there. It's one of the promises of AA. You know, the only thing that, that really that AA did for me is it, it stopped me from drinking. And um, it gave me the ability, the tools to deal with life, but also from taking that first step. And um, I try and keep as many steps away from that first step, that first drink, that first sip, as I can. And um, including um, going to meetings, 
working through the steps, trying to um, work with other alcoholics, um, talking to fellow alcoholics, and um, I guess being a speaker too. Um, commitments are really important, and it's it's taken away. It's given me a closer contact with the higher power, and it's it's taken me away from um, that first sip. And that's all I really ever wanted because that's what gets me. Um, anyway, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love all you guys. Thanks for for asking me to uh, be the speaker. All right, thank you.